Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's good seeing you today. Uh, We are finishing up our series on messy lives. And, you know, the reality is we can be talking about messy messy lives for here on out because we all have one and we all know about one. And, um, and so, in fact, uh, in 2006, Italian Airlines um, made a slight mistake on their website. And uh, for one of their transatlantic flights, uh, they had listed business class tickets for $39 round trip. And uh, they finally quickly realized their mistake because there was supposed to be $3,900, but only after 2,000 tickets were sold. And so that mess up cost them $7.7 million. Uh, Just the placement of a little dot cost them a lot of money. And now that's a pretty big mess up. And now when you listen to that, you, you know, some of you go and say, I can relate. You know, I've, I've had some mess ups in my life that cost me a lot of money. Um, maybe you've had some mess ups in your life that have cost you some friends. Uh, maybe you've had some mess ups in your life that cost you a job. And who knows, uh, you know, all the consequences of some of our mess ups. And, and we, we all uh, deal with that. You know, the Bible tells us that all of us have made a mess of our lives, and, uh, and it's because of sin. And there are times when we willingly and deliberately sin against God and reject his plan for our lives. Amen. There are other times that we have mess ups, and it wasn't anything deliberate. It wasn't because we were intentional about trying to mess up our lives. We, we just made a bad decision or maybe we were influenced by the wrong person. And all of a sudden though, we found that we're in a messy situation. We didn't intend to go there. Um, we weren't planning on doing this, but it's something that's kind of snuck up on you. And yet still you have the same consequences. You know, the the cost, there's always a cost of of a mess up. And like there's a cost for a rebellion. Uh, Even there's a cost, even when it's unintentional, you didn't intend to do that. And even when our mess up lives may may not necessarily be measured in dollars. Sometimes our mess ups can be measured in dollars, but a lot of times it's measured up with tears and with heartache, fear, regret, grief, and maybe even shame, that our, mess, our messy life, we collect those kind of emotions. And as, if we were all to stand up and tell our stories of our messy lives, uh, some would be messier than others. Um, in fact, you may hear a messy life and you go, wow, I didn't realize I had it so good, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, or you may hear a messy life and say, well, I really did mess up big time compared to their life. And, and, and so we just, but here's, here's the deal. 
It all leads to the same place. Your mess-ups, spiritual mess-ups, ultimately leads to a separation between you and holy God, and which ultimately leads to an eternal separation from holy God. That, that's what sin has done to us. But here's the good news. The good news is that no matter how messed up your story is, it does not have to stay that way. And it doesn't have to be the end of the story. So today we're going to look at a story about Jesus, and we're going to see one of the most messed up lives we've seen in a while in Scripture. And um, we're looking at John chapter 4. It's the story about the Samaritan woman. And, and I want you to pay very close attention to a couple of verses a, as we go through this. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's, just, let's just start reading and we'll stop at verse four. This is John chapter four. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judah and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, when you read that, he had to go through Samaria in, uh, uh, on the way. If you knew geographically the area, you would say, that's not a true statement. I mean, geographically, he didn't have to go through Samaria. There were a lot of different ways to go. Um, so is the Bible wrong? Did the Bible make a mistake there? Because geographically, that's just not a true statement. Um, there were a couple of issues happening. One is socially, he should not have gone through there. Because here's the deal, the, the Jews really hated the Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. And they thought they would defile themselves even if they talked to them. In fact, a respectable Jew would go out of his way, add a day or two to his journey just to go around Samaria to avoid contact. To even, he didn't even want to breathe their air. And, and so uh, socially, he didn't have to, I mean, it would have been the prudent thing not to have gone through Samaria, but the Bible says he had to go. Well, here, here's what I believe it's saying. Jesus had a divine appointment. So yeah, he had to go. Here's number one. Jesus always went where God wants to work. And in fact, is, is that an attitude in your life? Because if it's not, it would make things very different if it were. Uh, if you would begin your day, we, we always have our to-do list. Not all of us do that, but a lot of us do. And we have our little to-do list. And at the end of the day, if we've ticked everything off, we feel really good about ourselves. What if you added to that list these simple words, any divine appointments, that that's on your daily to-do list, divine appointments. You, you see, Jesus being who he was, 
He knew he had a divine appointment in Samaria. So yeah, verse four was correct when it said he had to go. Sometimes you feel something and you just have to make a phone call. You, you have to get in touch with a certain person. You, you just feel compelled to talk to someone specifically. Uh, those are those have-to moments, those divine, potentially divine appointments. And, and that you cannot always explain the urgency or the desire, except maybe it's the Holy Spirit. He's prompting you. I, I mean, there are many, many times I'll just send a text and I'll just say, hey, I was thinking about you and I prayed for you today and not knowing what's going on and then I'll get a reply back and more often than not, they will say, thank you, I really, really needed it today. Amen. Well, that was a divine encounter. Amen. The Holy Spirit prompted me to just send a text without knowing the information because I didn't need to know the information. And, and usually I don't reply back prying for juicy gossip. Uh, I'll text back and say something like, well, I'm here for, for you if you need me. Feel free to call. And that's all I say. I just let them know I'm there for them. And, but so often that happens. And, and, and so when you have that prompting, take it because you don't want to miss those divine appointments. Amen. So we're, we're looking at this story about this Samaritan woman. And um, <clears throat> the disciples really had no idea why they were going through Samaria. They probably were very uncomfortable with it. Maybe they just assumed they were going to save time because it was a shorter route. It wasn't the shortest route, but it was a shorter route. And, uh, but they were a little uncomfortable because Samaria was the wrong side of the tracks and, and, um, <clears throat> good, respectable people, Jew, Jewish people didn't go there. So we're not always aware of why God has placed us where we are. We're not always aware of the people he has allowed us to cross paths with. And, uh, and I want to say a word of caution don't try to spiritualize everything, okay? I, I mean, you have an encounter with somebody or you just happen to meet somebody and you all of a sudden decide it's a divine appointment because they want to sell you something <laughs> that you didn't need but you really wanted. So be careful about over-spiritualizing some things. I, I just said that for a benefit of a, some of you. So Jesus always went where, Jesus, where God wants him to work, and we're to have the same attitude. God, I always want to be where you want me to be. So let me be sensitive to your spirit. Let me encounter the people that you want me to encounter. So Jesus had to go there because there were some things that God was going to do. He had to go there because there was somebody in this little Samaritan village on the way to Galilee that had, a made, had made a complete mess of their life. I mean, total mess, an absolute mess. And it was somebody who needed to have their heart healed and their soul restored. 
He had to go there because in that little village there was something precious and valuable to him, and that is something that was lost and needed to be found. Something that was broken and needed to be fixed. And that's what Jesus does. So the second thing about Jesus, Jesus actively searches for messed up lives. You and I tend to want to avoid them. Again, do you, and I'm not even sure I want to at times, do you make yourself available to help someone who has royally messed up their life? I mean, totally and completely. We're too quick to wash our hands of people sometimes. Amen. I'm glad God wasn't that way with me. Now we're gonna go into a conversation in John chapter four. And this is the longest recorded conversation in scripture that Jesus had with another person. Now, I'm not saying it's the longest conversation he ever had, just in recorded scripture, in the gospels. This is the longest conversation Jesus had with someone. So this tells you some important stuff about this conversation. And uh, <clears throat> so, Jesus and his disciples, they, they, uh, they went on into town to find something to eat. And, and so in verse 7 it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and, and this was around noontime, and, which is very unusual in itself because um, that's not what they would do. A, a, a Samaritan woman, um, they, they would come as a group. The women would all come as a group for protection and, and you know, to catch up on the local village gossip and stuff and to be together. And, and so they would come together early in the morning when it wasn't so hot and they would collect the water that they needed for the day. But this woman came at noontime when nobody else would be there because she was not invited into any of the garden clubs. She was not invited to any of the circle clubs and she had to go alone because... Nobody wanted to have anything to do with her. She had quite a reputation. And so she knew, she knew that. So she shows up and Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. So Jesus, he just has a simple conversation. You know, it's nothing earth shattering. Well, maybe it was because um, you see, for a man to talk to a woman, that was not necessarily kosher. And for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, that was really off limits. And for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman, that was just like the worst. That was the worst. So she was all of a sudden curious. This guy, this Jewish guy is talking to me? Verse 8 said his, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone in the village to buy some food. That had to be hard on them. Um, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, Jesus takes the conversation and goes into communication. 
And, and he says something that takes her from curiosity to a craving. He begins to crave something. She begins to crave something. Um, he said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, of course, we know Jesus is talking spiritually, but she didn't know that. And she's thinking only physically. And, and verse 11, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And, and this well is very deep. Where are you, where are you gonna get this living water from? Where, where's that gonna happen? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Uh, you remember Jacob? We talked about him last week, and we talked about how messed up his life was. And, uh, but he was a hero to these people. Who gave us this well, and how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus said something that really got her, got her attention. It says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh and bubbling spring water within them. Wow. Giving them eternal life. Oh my goodness. Well, that really gave her a deep, deep craving and she said, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, now this lady, she was unwanted. She was rejected. She was despised. She was broken. She had made an absolute mess of her life because of her sinful choices. And why would Jesus want to have anything to do with somebody like that? Why bother with somebody like that? You, you see, the last conversation, spiritual conversation Jesus had with somebody uh, was Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a good guy. He was a very moral guy. He was an upstanding guy. He was a religious guy, but he still needed a savior. And, and um, he was not so good that he didn't need a savior. And, and Jesus led him to eternal truth. And uh, we can somewhat understand why Jesus was willing to speak to him and offer him eternal life. Uh, it's like, Nicodemus, you're almost there, but this one last step is crucial. You got to take it. Uh, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. He was, morally, he was a good man, and he probably made a lot of good choices in his life from the world's perspective. And his life had not been shattered apart because and torn apart because of bad decisions. This woman was not Nicodemus. She was a nobody. I mean, she was anything but good and moral or upstanding. She, at no point in her life would it be described as having it all together. But she had the same need that Nicodemus did. She needed a savior who would give her a miracle upon miracle. Amen. 
And Jesus was willing to do that. So here, here's, here's a good thing to remember. Nicodemus was not so good that he didn't need a savior. And this Samaritan woman was not so bad that Jesus couldn't or wouldn't save her. Hmm. Here's the third point about Jesus. He exposes the emptiness of the human heart. When you spend time with Jesus, he'll show you the emptiness that's there. And that's what he did with this woman. He showed her her emptiness. And so Jesus went from a conversation to communication, and now he actually goes to confrontation. She says, give me this water. And in verse 16, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband. Ah, I wish he hadn't have brought that up. <laughs> well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, let's talk about that. You've actually had five husbands. And you're right, you don't have a husband, but you're living with a guy right now, and you, I guess you've just got tired of doing the marriage, divorce, marriage, and divorce, and say, why, why fool with it? Just don't get married. And, and so you can say, technically, I don't have a husband, but you're living with this guy, and he's technically not your husband. Uh, he, he knew how many men she's gone through. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why the other ladies didn't want to hang out with her. They were trying to, you know, they, they, they wanted to keep their husband safe from this woman. I mean, I wonder how many of the, those husbands had been the husband of somebody else. And, and um, maybe she was one of those individuals that just outwardly had that beauty that men would crave, but once they got to know her, they saw nothing but the ugliness inside. Maybe. Or maybe she was just so desperately trying to find meaning and purpose and belonging that she would just run from one relationship to the next looking for it. Someone that would love me for me more than just my physical, but would love me for me. And she would never find that. Maybe at some point she just gave up on herself and said, uh, what's the use? I'm going to quit pretending I'm somebody I'm not. I'm just going to be who I am. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody or maybe you have done that? You got tired of trying to be the good person and at some point in your life you just finally said, I'm tired of pretending. I'm just going to be who I am. actually was dealing with a young man that was like that. And um, he always wanted to keep the pretense out there. And outwardly, he seemed to have it all together, but inwardly, he fought so many battles and he was going from one relationship to the next. And he was looking for love in all the wrong places. And he finally reached a point, he said, I'm just gonna quit pretending. And uh, his other brother, one of his brothers, who I was discipling at the time, was just telling me how sad he was about it. And I said, don't be sad. He's finally coming to terms with who he is. 
now God can do something. Amen. Now God can work in this. Because he's been pretending all along, and now he's just facing up to who he is, and that's when God can do something. So here's the fourth thing about Jesus. Jesus offers to fill the emptiness with new life. The woman said to Jesus, sir, this verse 19, you must be a prophet. So tell me, um, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem, uh, did you see this? <laughs> All of a sudden, her life has been exposed and so she immediately said, hey, yeah, well, I got you. You're a prophet. I got this theological question over here. So let's talk about that. I, I mean, people do this with me all the time. You know, when, when I start getting a little too close for comfort, they immediately say, well, what about this? Or what about that? And they want to divert it and they want to have all these biblical discussions and all these different reasons why they don't have to believe the Bible and they'll get into all that. And... and <clears throat> And Jesus knew exactly what she was doing. In fact, in verse 24, Jesus said, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know this Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And now comes the biggest confrontation. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Wow. This is amazing. Jesus and what he was willing to do with this such a messed up life and he offered to fill her emptiness with this new life. Then his disciples, those spiritual giants, they come back and they'll say, what are you doing talking to this woman? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you thinking? And she immediately left her jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I did, <clears throat> could he possibly be the Messiah? And, and so the people came streaming out of the village. <clears throat> they, they came and, and um, they just were hungry. They were thirsty. They wanted to hear what this Messiah had to say. And while these people were streaming out from the village, uh, verse 31, the disciples were aging, urging Jesus, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Of course, they immediately said, did somebody bring him some food that, uh, while we were gone? I mean, you know, I can relate to the disciples. They didn't always, they didn't get it. <laughs> then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from, and, and from finishing his work. I'm being fed right now by having this divine appointment with this woman. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Oh, wouldn't you long that for your, to be true in your life? That what nourished you and filled you and made you completely satisfied was when you know and you knew that God had just used you in a major way in a person's life to tell them truth, to show them truth, to show them forgiveness, to show them how they can ha have and know and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you that satisfies more than any food you can eat at the best restaurants in the city. Ooh, amen. That's what nourishes you. Amen. But you and I, we long for things that only satisfy us temporarily. And then we're hungry again. Many Samaritans came from the village, verse 39, and, and they believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And then get that picture. They believed in Jesus because the messed up life person told them. He revealed everything I'd ever done. They responded to the messed up person. You see, when God comes into your messed up life, he will use you to help another messed up life. Amen. That is so cool. And when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So Jesus wound up staying for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. So this one divine appointment led to the salvation of many. We don't know how many, but a lot. It transformed that village. You know, when you make yourself available for a divine appointment, who knows the chain reaction you may have started? God knows. I mean, the chain reaction that comes from that one obedience on your part. Jeff Pruitt, who is our family pastor, works with our children, when we interviewed him about the position, he and I were talking and it came up in the conversation and was said, you know, you're, you're my spiritual granddad. I went, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, you know, you discipled, you led Danny to the Lord and you discipled, mentored him and you still are mentoring him. And, and, and he was my youth minister and he led me to the Lord and he mentored me and discipled me. And then I worked for him and he was my boss. So I'm your spiritual grandchild. I thought, now that's just way cool. I wonder if you're, you know, I don't know if I'll know in this lifetime, and you probably won't know in your lifetime, how many great grandchildren you have out there, you know, grandchildren, great grandchildren. I, I mean, you're obedient in one situation to tell someone about how Jesus will fix their messed up life, and, and um, they get saved and they wind up leading their whole family to the Lord, or they wind up leading all their friends to the Lord, and, and you had a part of that. Who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? And it all begins with a divine appointment and your willingness to be available. 
with a divine appointment. In fact, in verse, the fifth thing I want to share with you about Jesus, Jesus invites you and me to join him on his search for those with messy lives. Hmm. I tend to want to avoid those kind of people. I want to avoid the Samaritans. And Jesus says, no, that's the very people I want to go after. Are you willing to join me in going after those messy people? I don't know where you are today or what your life is like. It might be quite messy right now. But I want you to know that no matter how dirty and filthy you may feel, or how you have labeled yourself or feel that others have labeled you. Jesus is searching for you. And he is here and he is looking for you. And there is something that he wants to offer you. Something that will satisfy you for eternity. He wants to offer you something that will never run dry. Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to bring your messed up life to him? Let's pray.